We're continuing this morning in that old-time religion sermon series. This is the fourth in that series. Uh, We talked about prayer. We talked about Sabbath-keeping. We talked about sacrificial love as what is unique about Christian love compared to all other examples of love that you see out there in the world. Sacrificial love is particularly Christ-like and biblical in what you and I are called to and can live out through Jesus. Today, uh, Christian stewardship, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, verse 14. Matthew 25, verse 14, and we're going to be reading through verse 30. Before we read, let's pray. Lord, um, as your children, we want to be more trusting of you. We want to be more obedient to you. But all our efforts and trying seem like they don't get us anywhere. Lord, to trust and to obey, we need your power and your power alone. Give us more of your power for our hearts, for living this morning. We pray that you would empower your people through the faithful proclamation of your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus had a parable before this, and he continues in verse 14 of Matthew 25. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once, put his money to work, And he gained five more, so also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant, you've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has the ten talents. 
For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's God's holy and infallible word for us, to us this morning. We sang in our opening song of Jesus being a pearl of greatest price. That's a biblical reference for Jesus from a little bit earlier in Matthew, from another parable, Matthew in thir- Matthew 13. And it's appropriate because as someone describes when talking about stewardship, when a person finds Jesus, it costs him everything. And this writer goes on to describe this conversation. I'm going to share with you. It's a conversation with the Lord, really. Jesus has happiness, joy, peace, healing, security, eternity. We marvel at a pearl like that and say, I want this pearl. How much does it cost? The seller of the pearl says it's too dear, it's too costly. But how much? Well, it's very expensive. Do you think I could buy it? Well, it costs you everything you have. No more, no less, so anybody can buy it. I'll buy it, says the person interested in the pearl of Jesus. What do you have? Let's write it down. Well, I've got about $50,000 in the bank. Good. 50000 What else? Nothing more. That's all I have. Have you nothing more? Well, I have some dollars here in my pocket, um, about 30 bucks. Wonderful, $30, that's fine. What else do you have? I have nothing else, that's all. Well, where do you live? I live in my house, that house too. You mean I got to live in the garage? You have a garage as well? Well, that too, what else? You mean I got to live in my car then? You have a car? Well, I have two. Both become mine. Both cars. What else? Well, you have my house, the garage, the cars, the money, everything. What else? Are you alone in this world? No, I have a wife. I have two children. Your wife and children too. Two? Yes. Everything you have. What else? I got nothing else. I'm left alone now. Oh, you too. Everything becomes mine. Wife, children, house, money, cars, everything. And you too. Now, you can use all those things here, but don't forget they are mine, as are you. And when I need any of the things of mine that you are using, you must give them to me, because now I am the owner. That description of a conversation with God helps us enter into what Christian stewardship is about. And I emphasize Christian stewardship because many people outside the church know and understand the idea of stewardship. Environmental stewardship is actually one of the most common ways the world uses that term today and knows about it. And of course, it refers to responsible use, protection of our natural environment. But Christian stewardship, that idea has been around a little bit longer. 
and we need to talk about it in our Old Time Religion series because along with some other key biblical practices that seem to have hit on hard times, this one has too. Have Christians today forgotten this key practice, this key piece to a vibrant and joyful and biblical faith? Are you perhaps missing out today on this biblical principle that brings great honor to God and brings tremendous blessing to you, his people? And so this morning, three fundamentals of Christian stewardship. First of all, it's divine basis, the divine basis. We learn in Sunday school that parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, and that's very accurate. It's very helpful. The master in our parable is Jesus or God. And what does God do in our story, in the parable? Well, he entrusts his property to his servants, verse 14. And right there, we start to see what stewardship is. God is the owner of everything, and we are servants. We're asked to take care of his stuff. Stewardship comes from the idea of stewards who are the people who look after the household of the owner. Any of you have one of those in your house? It would be pretty nice. I don't, I don't think any of us do. That's where it comes from, from that old idea. We talk about owning our homes and owning our things, or but... And we do, but only in a limited sense. In an ultimate sense, everything is God's. It's just ours to use for a little while. As the co-founder of Crown Financial Ministries puts it, what I possess, God owns. And this divine basis from verse 14 goes back to creation itself. In Genesis 1, God said to mankind, After he created everything, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And that's called the cultural mandate. God, who created it all, entrusts it all to people. So we're God's servants, we're God's stewards, we're God's managers. He's the owner, and it includes everything. The talents in our parable were units of money, but Christians have always understood those to point to everything God has given us, and bringing it down to the nitty-gritty of our lives day by day, it's helpful to talk about us being stewards of our time, our talents, and our treasure. Without God... Without this divine design and basis, your stuff is your stuff to do with as you please because it just got to you randomly somehow through some combination of evolution, your hard work, dumb luck. But we as believers know better, don't we? Just as this world was created by God, so too were you and I, and it's by his hand that we have 
everything we do, life, breath, a roof over our heads, clothes, all our positions, knowing God makes all the difference in the world in how we handle our time, our talent, and our treasure. Most, if not all of you, know that a little over two years ago, I had a seizure on a street in Elmhurst, then I had brain surgery, and then I was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor, and I had chemotherapy and so forth, which just ended uh, a month or two ago. Now, as hard as that was for me and for Sarah to deal with, there were many others impacted by this too, especially our parents. When something is going on with one of your kids, as you know, if you have children, it's the hardest thing in the world, and it can just kill you inside, and you wish you could take the suffering on yourself. And I, I know that's the case. Uh, my father-in-law here is all the time, Tom DeVries, as a member of this church. My mom is here this morning, actually, too. She ditched my dad. He's actually preaching at Wheaton CRC, uh, talking about Crossroad and preaching there. Um, so she, she came here to be with us. Um, and I so appreciated from both of you just, yeah, I don't have to tell you that, your support. But my dad was really struggling, he told me this recently, was really struggling with all this um, early on as my dad. He didn't know what to do, where to turn. He felt helpless, he was agonizing about it. And finally, one day he was speaking with a friend about all of this and about what his son was going through. At one point in the conversation, this friend said, Dave, remember, he's not your kid. Greg is God's kid. And something clicked in my dad, and it made all the difference. And from then on, he was able to have a different outlook. Your children aren't really your children. They're God's children. Your time isn't really your time. It's God's time. You know, people talk about their volunteer time, time they give to maybe serve somewhere to the church, and then they sometimes talk about and think about the rest of it is their time. No, it's all God's time. Our talents aren't for us to leverage in such a way for our own glory. No, they are talents that God has given you to use for him and his glory. God is the great owner of everything. So, number one, we've got to get this, the divine basis, the divine design of Christian stewardship. And then everything in your life starts falling into place. Like it freed my dad in thinking about my struggles, it can free you when you're thinking about whatever it is that troubles you or worries you. Give it over to him who owns it all anyway. Whatever we have is just something we get to borrow and use and enjoy for a little while. The second fundamental of Christian stewardship is its joyful experience. There is great joy in using well what God has entrusted to us, his stewards. Two of the servants in the parable faithfully used their talents, right? Each of them invested what they were given, doubled the investment of the time the master is away. And that doesn't refer, again, only to investing money. But it's telling us that whatever we have, we must invest in the kingdom of God. And it will yield amazing results, whether you're giving 
of your time to the kingdom, your talents, your financial resources. What comes across to me, and it came across in a new way as I studied this passage preparing for today, is the joy these servants have in doing and accomplishing what the master asked of them. They show us the joy of stewardship. You can feel it. Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. I bet he ran through the house to meet the owner when he came back from his long trip. I don't think Sophia would mind me saying this, but when I walk into the house, she will sometimes run to me and tell me about something that happened at her day at school. And there are a lot of exciting things that happen at school for a first grader every day, amazing things, and I get to hear about them. Even Adriana, our two-and-a-half-year-old, will do that when I come in the door, knocking me over almost, as little as she is when she grabs my leg. Sarah and I, no, not Sarah and I, I wasn't there, and the girls were carving pumpkins on Monday night. Adriana's task was picking out the pumpkin seeds. She got very obsessed with that, to tell you the truth. She did very, very well, and she had to tell me about. Even Hannah and Olivia get excited from time to time with an accomplishment. They come to me with a skip in their step, a smile on their face, to share with me as their dad. I still call my mom or dad when I'm excited about something. That's what these servants do. Why do they do that? Well, because they got it. It clicked. They figured out that's what they were designed to do. Use what we have for the master because he gave it to us in the first place to do exactly that. And when you do that, you will experience a deep joy because you found your purpose and you found the purpose for which you have stuff and the purpose for which you have breath itself to use it all for him, for his kingdom, for his will, for his church, for his glory. And we can go to the master with the skip in our step at the end of the day and say, God, look how I've used my musical talent for you. Look how I'm using my business savvy. Look how I'm using my artistic skill, my way with words, my skill with tools. See how I spent my time. Look, Lord, here's how I responded to this or that need in my church home. And then the master invites the servants to share his happiness. And that's looking ahead to the end of time when we enter into glory. When we've discovered our purpose here in the Lord, we will experience joy in being his servants here, and we will one day experience joy and happiness beyond what we could ever imagine eternally. There's a, an unfortunate and sad flip side to all this great joy that we can't miss. And that's found with this servant who was given one talent. And he doesn't use it. He buries it. It leads to the master's displeasure. Why? Well, because he selfishly hoarded what he was given. It's like being given money or time or talents and keeping them all for ourselves. Not giving. Not sharing. Not using for God's mission and his purpose. And then, of course, even what he was given was taken away from that servant. And God cast him into the darkness. The alternative 
of being a steward for God is to be self-serving. And there is no joy in that. Maybe briefly, earthly joy, but it's not going to last. Only pain and disappointment and unhappiness will result. That unfaithful servant's attitude and action, you know, is our default position and attitude since the fall. We read the cultural mandate in Genesis 1 where God created all things good, but Adam and Eve fell into sin, which resulted in pain and death and separation from God. And since the fall, each person is born in this state of being separated from God, rejecting God, rejecting his ways, including rejecting his plan and his purpose for our lives. And the end result is eternal punishment, like the servant in our parable, God, at the end of the parable. The fall includes an inborn desire to do things our way for us, rather than for God and others. Since the fall, the tendency is to think, I accumulated or was born with all of this and I'll use it as I please. That's how we live without the Spirit in our hearts. And even as believers, the tendency is for that old man of sin to be pulling us back into those lives of selfishness. We praise God that Jesus came to this earth as the perfect steward of the master, giving all of his time, all of his abilities, everything he had, even his very life, to accomplish the mission of God and to save lost sinners like you and me by going to the cross. He did that so you and I might have a relationship with God and also so that we might have a new outlook on life, a new purpose for existence, a new vision for what our lives are here for and for what all our blessings are here for. Not for ourselves, but for God, for others, for the kingdom of God. When you belong to Jesus, you can walk on that new, exciting path of joyful stewardship, joyfully offering all you have for God's kingdom as we work, as you live, wherever God's called you. And we can, of course, focus our service as God's people in a special way towards the upbuilding of the church. Because after all, the church is God's centerpiece for kingdom growth and for his mission. And that leads us to our final point, a final thought, where we see the universal possibilities of Christian stewardship. And here's what's I'm so happy to tell you about this morning, about this whole thing of time, talent, treasure. It doesn't matter how much or how little time, money, talents you have. The joy can be yours this morning. One servant had five, the other two, the other one one. The one with two received just as much joy and satisfaction as the one with five. And there's every indication that if the unfaithful servant with one talent 
had used that talent in a stewardly way, he would have experienced the joy just as much as the other two. I just feel like that's a great lesson to us who are so quick to compare with everyone else around us. Right? You do it. I do it. To look at how much money so-and-so has. To be sad and discouraged that we don't have the talents that so-and-so has. The fact is, it doesn't matter how much you have or how little. Maybe you've got just one talent. My guess is you probably got more. But let's say you really only have one talent, or two. How about I give you two? It doesn't mean you can't serve God. It doesn't mean you can't share in the master's happiness just as fully as someone with five. Did you see the description of the master's response after the faithful one with five and then after the faithful one with two? It's interesting. I had to read the whole thing again. It's like, no, it's just a repeat of the other one. Why do I have to read that all? Well, because we're being shown there is no difference. The words are identical between the two. The pleasure the master has and the pleasure he shows to the one with two is identical to the one with five. There's no difference. So you know what that means? That means you need to go. You need to do it. Use whatever you have. Use whatever God has given you. God will bless that. You will experience the joy of the Lord too and enter into eternal happiness just as much as everyone else. It's very, very interesting and telling to me that the servant with one talent didn't exhibit stewardship. So maybe this parable is especially for those of us who feel like we don't have much to give. Maybe it's for those of us who are a little fearful about the fact that, that we don't have much money and think, I can't give to this church this stage of my life. I have to hold on to what I got because I look at everyone else and, boy, I don't have much. In the parable, God took away what little the servant did have when he had that attitude and hoarded it. The value of what we give back to God is not in its size, but it's more related to the heart of the giver and the heart of stewardship. Someone once dreamed that she went to church and after the service was over, a plate was held at the door for people's contributions. The plate was kind of magical. It had the power of changing each person's gift into its real value in the sight of God. And there was a gentleman who put in a gold coin and it immediately turned into brass when it hit that plate, which isn't worth nearly as much. He had given in order to be thought well of by others. There's a lady who put in a quarter. It turned into a penny. She could have given far more, but she only gave because that was her custom. There's a little girl coming up with her Sunday school teacher. She dropped in a penny, and it turned into a dandelion. She had given only to, to please her teacher. This dreamer felt sad to think that these gifts weren't accepted by God, but then a very poor little girl came up, and she dropped in a penny. It changed into gold. She was very poor, and she had denied herself, sacrificed to give it because she loved the Lord Jesus Christ. The gift was well-pleasing to God. 
And so it is with giving. That's the genius of God's plan for tithing that the Bible talks about. Proportional giving. We give back what we've been given. God doesn't expect any more or any less. I'm absolutely certain that if each one of us were faithfully, stewardly in our giving, God would and will provide everything and more we need for his church here at Faith and for many dozens of causes beyond us as he has provided for us year after year after year through faithful, stewardly giving. Stanley Tam, an American businessman and philanthropist, says this, you hear a lot of strange things about tithing. Some say it's a church tax. They expect me to pay it, and that's the end of it. Others say that when I give God one-tenth of my income, he blesses the nine-tenths that is left to the extent that the nine-tenths now go as far as the whole thing used to go. And he says, I don't know if that's really true. Suppose a farmer had 100 bushels of corn in the barn and decided to plant 10 bushels in the ground. What multiplies? Is it the 90 bushels left in the barn? Oh, even us who aren't farmers know it's the 10 bushels you put in the ground that multiplies. In a similar way, it's the 10% you give to the Lord, to his church, to his kingdom that multiplies. And, and that means God will use whatever you've been given to, whatever I've been given, whether it's in the five category or two or one. A lot of times when the church talks about stewardship, it kind of goes quickly to financial stewardship. That's in that treasure category. But stewardship, Christian stewardship, goes far beyond that. It includes our time, our talents. And when I think of that and the church, I think of the amazing amount of time and talents given for the Lord here at Faith CRC. Do you have any idea what we're accomplishing here? Do you have any idea? I'm not sure that you do. Most churches, and I have connections with a lot of churches as a pastor and a lot of pastors, and I have a unique viewpoint. I don't see everything that goes on, but I have a little bit of a unique viewpoint as pastor here. Most churches would require several extra paid staff people to do what we do. I am blown away at what gets accomplished here because of people who get Christian stewardship. I know you. I know you're humble about this. But someone's got to celebrate it. And I do. I am. Praise God for people who get Christian stewardship here at Faith. It's incredible. I also worry sometimes, though, that not everyone is getting it. How about you? Have you caught the vision? Are you, you serving Think about it a little bit. Do you want, think about it selfishly. Do you want these other people to get all the blessing and the happiness by giving what they have for the Lord while you could be getting in on some of that joy too? Get in the game if you're not in the game. Something that comes to mind every year is um, elder and deacon nominations, just to talk about one thing of many ways to serve. The council usually sends letters to about 10 possibilities for elder, for deacon, so the congregation can vote among those names to fill open positions. There are times that people get that letter and they have to refuse nomination. Yes, that happens. 
What this biblical concept of stewardship tells us, though, is it should be very rare for that ever to happen. Take that calling seriously. God will give you the time you need when you give your time to Him and acknowledge that it's all His anyway. God will give you the strength you need if you realize your strength is in Him. It's not in yourself. Seize this opportunity if you ever get it to serve this way, men, if you ever get a letter like that from council, what a special way to be stewards of the Lord and the church. So many ways to serve. Are, are you looking for an opportunity and not finding it of a way to use your time and talent and treasure for the Lord and his church? Read the bulletin. Open it up. And if that's still, you're not, nothing's clicking, talk to your district elder, talk to your district deacon or any council member, talk to me. There's so much happening. There are incredible opportunities. Christian stewardship, God's design intended to give us great joy. The possibilities are endless for the advancement of the kingdom and mission of God and the building up of his church, even especially here at Faith CRC. Amen.